Um, I love road trips. Anybody else in the audience? One lies. Really? You guys don't like road trips? See, a handful of other countries do road trips, really, but nobody does it like the U.S. does. I mean, the, the tradition of it, it's almost like a ritual of sorts, right? I mean, people just enjoy hitting the open road, okay, going and exploring the great outdoors and all of this stuff. It's a very, very American thing in many ways, and I love road trips. But maybe more than, more than the traveling itself and more than the exploring, okay, this is the kind of stuff that I'm all about, right? Our road trips, okay? Um, it's the excuse to gorge on, on junk, right? On junk food, buy inordinately huge uh, things. Uh, this is actually not mine. Uh, this is Bill's. <laughs> I'm that addicted. I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, I need to get one of these pretty soon, okay? But it's just this, it's just this, I, I, I love, you know, loading up the family in the car, uh, packing it with everything, you know, goodies for a whole week or whatever it is and then just hitting the road, okay? And there's so much country to explore uh, here. If you've never traveled outside of the US, um, man, you don't realize how large of a country we live in, okay? When I lived in England, I uh, took a little bus trip from London to Edinburgh, which is in Scotland, okay? It took about five and a half hours, okay? At <laughs> yeah, okay. At the time, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that's forever away. Okay, I was just, I couldn't bear the thought of sitting five and a half hours in the bus. That's like, you could get past Dallas for that or here, right? I mean, that's like nothing still, okay? <laughs> five hours is nothing. So that, but, but the thing about road trips is, uh, at least if you're on an interstate, you're not really very far away from, from like a place like a Bucky's, okay? Where they have everything from food and drinks to speed radars if you want to avoid the cops, apparently. Okay, they've got everything, okay? And these sprawling... They're, they're called gas stations, but there's so much more than gas stations, right? I mean, when a gas station sells you fudge, right? That's, that's like a other level of gas station. But it wasn't always that way, however, right? It wasn't always that way. This sort of access to amenities on the road uh, wasn't a norm back in the day. It used to be that people would make these really long journeys and, and they would bring along maybe an animal of some sort carrying their stuff, a beast of burden of some kind. Um, and, and really, between their origin and their destination, there really wasn't a Bucky's around, okay? And they relied, had to rely, on, on the kindness of strangers, okay? Uh, those times seem like, we're, I mean, it seems like we're so far removed from all of that, yes? Our cars today are, uh, they have range, uh, ranges of hundreds of miles, okay? You can pack up everything. You do. Sometimes you won't even need to stop. Between here and Dallas, for example, that's one shot, right? You don't, unless you have little kids and you need potty breaks every 20 minutes, yes? Okay? But, but it used to be that people really relied more heavily on the kindness of strangers. There were inns, these little places you could stay, guest rooms were few and far between, and, um, and you had to rely on people showing you kindness, people that didn't know you. Now, that's really the topic of our lesson today, uh, is salty hospitality. In this series, okay, we're exploring what it means for Christians, for you and I, okay, to be salt of the earth. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. And so we're trying to figure out what does that mean exactly. Okay, and we're looking at these different ways that we are salty, different ways that uh, we stick out. Okay? We stand out from the rest of the crowd, or at least we should. 
right? We should stick out for these reasons. And, and today we're talking about hospitality. But, but you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, what's the difference between a regular hospitality uh, and salty hospitality? And I want to use three, three stories from Scripture that I think describe and illustrate these really well. Okay, the first is this. In Genesis somewhere or other, <laughs> kidding, it's over there by like 13, 14, okay? Abraham's servant, it's time for uh, Abraham's son to be married, okay? Isaac, his only son, you remember that. And Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And so the servant goes out, and, and he's praying to God, God, I'm, I'm going to come to this place, and please show me a sign uh, letting me know that this is the right person for my master's son. And so his prayer is, whoever comes and shows hospitality to me, that's going to be the one. And so as it turns out, he shows up, he's sitting by the well, and this girl comes out with a group of the women that have come out to draw water, and she gets water out for him, but also says, here, I will get water out for your camels too. Okay, they didn't know each other, but that's how she treated this stranger. Next up, you move on a little bit down, and you get to the story of the Israelites as they get ready to enter the promised land. Well, before they do that, they send out a scouting party. You'll remember that, okay? But there were a couple of spies that show up at the home of a prostitute, Rahab. And Rahab tells them, listen, I've heard all about you guys, okay? Uh, I know the Lord is on your side. And what Rahab does for them is that she shields them from trouble. Some men of the city come asking around, hey, we've heard that some spies are in town. They're scouting out this place, ready to invade and take over. She hides them. She pretends like she doesn't know what she's talking about. And in the dead of night, okay, she helps them escape. She showed kindness to strangers. And finally, there's the story, of course, that Jesus recounts of a good Samaritan. The story goes this way. Uh, a guy's walking down the road. He's traveling between cities. He's mugged by robbers, and they beat him, leave him half dead. And along comes a Levite, okay, um, of the priestly tribe, if you will. These were the guys that were in charge of all things related to the temple, <coughs> and service of God. The Levite ignores it, walks away. Priest comes by, does the same thing, ignores the plight of this guy that's been mugged, walks away, doesn't care. Then a Samaritan comes. Samaritans, okay, the Jews hate the Samaritans. Call the Samaritans dogs, yes? Uh, lots of contempt for Samaritans. But the Samaritan looks at this guy and says, oh, oh no, and he takes care of him, right? He bandages his wounds, takes him to an inn, puts him up, tells the guy, listen, do all you can, Okay, to help this guy, and if I owe you any more on my return, I'll pay you. Three very different stories, but the principle is the same. Somebody showed kindness and love to strangers. That's what salty hospitality is. Okay, that is what we're talking about. That's what I mean when I say salty hospitality. What makes our hospitality salty is when we show love and kindness, not, but it goes beyond the bounds of our family and our friends and our loved ones and are the ones with whom we're acquainted. It goes beyond those bounds and reaches out to the stranger. In fact, the original word in the Greek is philoxenos. Uh, comes from two words, combination of two words. Philos, which means to befriend or friendly, uh, and xenos, as in stranger, as in uh, you'll hear the word xenophobia. Okay, that's where that comes from. So it's befriending the strangers, showing love to the strangers, having love for strangers. So our modern notion of having people in your home for a meal, you know, when we say hospitality, that's typically what, what we tend to think of, right? 
it's, it's opening up your home and, and being uh, a warm host, a gracious host to your friends and family and to your guests. It is that, but it's so much more than that. Okay? It is so much more than having people in your home for a meal. It is showing love to the stranger. It's loving the stranger that is among you. Let's move on to the next slide. It is, it is greater than what we do on a regular basis here at Sunset when you have people over in your home. Uh, it, is, it goes far beyond that. Now, the biblical mandate to show hospitality okay, comes really from the history of the Israelites. Okay? I know that you all know the history of the Israelites, but there was a time before the Israelites took possession of the promised land that they lived in a different country. Okay? Where did they live? They lived in Egypt. And this mandate for hospitality comes from the fact that at one time, the Israelites themselves were strangers in a foreign land. And so you go to the book of Leviticus chapter 19, okay? Leviticus chapter 19, uh, 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 Moses explicitly tells the Israelites, okay? This is part of their commandments, okay? He says, listen, and let's go to the next slide here, okay? He says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land... This is speaking to the Israelites. When he sojourns in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns among you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, Israel for hundreds of years did not really have a national identity. But when God began to bring them out of Egypt, spent 40 years in the desert, he was preparing them to be a people. He told them, listen, I'm going to give you this land. He gives them a constitution, the law, the law of Moses. Right? And part of this, he's saying, listen, guys, when you go in and take possession of this promised land, don't become self-centered. Don't forget the foreigner among you and definitely do not mistreat them. Okay? I am the Lord your God. You were strangers at one time in Egypt. So treat the stranger among you the way you would have wanted to be treated when you were in Egypt. That's the mandate. That's the mandate, okay? And that's there in Leviticus 19. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's Leviticus. That doesn't apply to us anymore, right? Do we still have to do that? Do we still have to love the stranger among us? Yeah, okay? Let's go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10, 9 and 10, and, and, and really, you'll find this in different places in the New Testament. Think about the people on whom Jesus and his disciples relied during their ministry. They would go from town to town. They were itinerant preachers, basically, right? Where did they stay, you think? Did they have family in every town they went to? If they did, they would stay with family, obviously. But what about the other towns? Who would feed them? See, Jesus and his disciples, they themselves relied on the fact that people, on, on, on people showing hospitality to them, on people loving the stranger among them, Jesus and his disciples were recipients of that kind of kindness and love. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and Titus 1, verse 8, talk about uh, being given to hospitality as a sought-after virtue for leaders. Did you know that you cannot be a, 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 a deacon or an elder in the church, okay, unless hospitality forms a part of your character, unless you have cultivated that in your life? Okay, it's necessary that our leaders are hospitable people, are people who love strangers, love the stranger among us. 
Luke chapter 14, verse 13 talks about the importance of showing kindness to strangers and especially those who cannot repay us the favor. A little while back in our, I forget what the name of the series was, but uh, talked about kindness and we explored this a little bit more in detail, right? There is something special about blessing somebody who isn't able to bless you back, right? Typically, we, we invite people for a meal and whatever, and, 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 and that's just the ones we love, right? And, and they'll invite us back and here we go, back and forth, right? But Jesus goes, don't do that, right? Invite people who can't repay your favor, okay? And, and that's a really interesting way of going about that. And then there's this really curious passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, and you'll find this in Genesis as well. But, but the writer of Hebrews goes, listen, guys, okay, don't neglect to show hospitality. Don't neglect to show love and kindness to the stranger among you because in doing so, some people have entertained angels without realizing it. I don't know what that means, okay? I don't know what that looks like. But the mandate for us is clear. It wasn't simply an Old Testament principle that we can discard. It applies to us very much today. And there are other passages we can go to, but for sake of time, I'm sticking with these four. Okay, this mandate to show hospitality for the Israelites was, you were strangers once in a foreign land. Well, guess what? We were strangers at once, at one time, to the promises that God had made. As Gentiles... As Gentiles, we were strangers to God's promises. And he showed love to us at that time. He didn't limit his promises to the Jewish people. He expanded them to include us. That was God showing hospitality to us. So this theme of hospitality runs all the way throughout, and it, and it applies to our Christian lives very much today. And just as well because I think that salty hospitality is an essential commodity in our world today. It's always been the case, but I think it's even more so today. When we show kindness to strangers, okay, that salty hospitality for us enhances our view of God's image bearers. See, when we show kindness to strangers and treat them with graciousness, with love, we communicate a very important message to them, and that is, hey, listen, as God's image bearer, you are worthy of dignity. You are worthy of my respect. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story, or this parable maybe, and he tells him, uh, listen, on, on, on the final day basically, that there will be the righteous gathered and the unrighteous as well. Uh, and and uh, Jesus will, will tell them, hey, listen, blessed are you the righteous ones, because when I was hungry, you guys fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And there's surprise on their faces. The righteous go, Lord, when exactly did all this happen? We don't remember that. We don't remember you coming to us. We don't remember showing kindness to you. And Jesus' response is, surely I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And the same kind of thing happens with the unrighteous. Jesus tells, get away from me, you evildoers, for when I was hungry, you what? You didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you what? You didn't give me a drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't, you didn't care. And they're confused. They're surprised. They're going, when? When did all this happen? Jesus responds the same way. He says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. And, and, and the, you know, people, just reading that passage, you ask, well, who are the least of these? 
because the full phrase seems to be the least of these my brothers and sisters. Could he just be talking about the Jewish people? Is he talking about himself and his disciples? It's not at all a stretch given what we know of the mandate for, for Christians, for all of us to show hospitality, that, that it is simply anyone, it's the stranger among you that is in need. And the reality is that when we show kindness and graciousness to the stranger, we encounter King Jesus himself. The, guy, the, the, the people are surprised. Lord, we didn't see you. And the Lord said, I was there. I was there. When you showed kindness to that stranger, that least of them that everybody overlooked, that nobody could care about, okay, I was there. You did that for me. You know, this command is a reason why many, many of, our, of the world's charitable organizations began and continue as Christian ministries. They began because people took these words seriously, to love the stranger among you. They understood the distinctiveness of the Christian faith as one that promotes love for the stranger. In India, for example, Christians began a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, educational institutions, schools, high schools, universities, began a lot of hospitals. Okay? And, 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 and they're well-known, okay? The people, even non-Christians, okay, will extol the behaviors, will extol the virtues of Christian organizations, okay? They're sought after. It's because people took these commands seriously. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a Hindu leper, if you know the work of Mother Teresa, for example. It doesn't matter if you're a Hindu leper, I'm still going to show love and kindness to you. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, when you're in need, I will show kindness to you. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim student, you can still come study at our educational institutions. We'll still love on you, we'll still pour into you. It doesn't matter if you're an enemy combatant, we will still try our best to preserve your life. Do you know that our modern notion of human rights okay, was propelled by Christianity? I mean, other religions talk about this somewhat, but it's a distinctive feature of Christianity, love for strangers. Love for people that you simply don't know. Love for people that you're not connected to. You know, love your family, everybody talks about that. Love your friends, everybody talks about that. Love the stranger, very distinctively Christian. Salty hospitality also nurtures our relationships by providing a place of love and belonging. You know, strangers and foreigners often feel... Um, like they don't belong, even sometimes at a place like a church, because this community can be so tight-knit sometimes. Uh, uh, outsiders, if you will, can find it hard to break in and break through. Uh, I'll tell you the story of when, I, uh, when my family and I moved to England. I'm an only child. If you didn't know that already, you're like, we know, okay? <laughs> that explains a lot, yeah. Well, when we moved to England, I was a towering four foot nine or ten at 14 years old, okay? And, and speaking of the spies that went to scout out the, the promised land, do you remember the report that they gave the, the, when they came back? They're like, we can't go take that place. Okay, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. That's how I felt when we moved to England, okay? Everybody else, it felt like they were at least a solid foot taller than I was, okay? And I was only a handful of non-white students, okay? 
And in the beginning, everybody looked the same. It's a real thing, people, okay? Go to a new place, you're not used to them, you can't distinguish them, okay? You really can't, I know from experience. So here I am, having left home at age 14, having left all of my friends, having left all of the people that I knew at church, my church, having left the city in which I grew up, having left the food that I was so used to, having left everything, right? And we're in England in this strange place. I'm the stranger there. Okay, I'm the one that looks different. I'm the one that sounds different. You know who showed me hospitality? Salty hospitality? These two. I mean, at the time, these two guys were like the whitest guys that I'd ever seen, okay? <laughs> for real. And, and for a while, and they'll attest to this, for a while, I couldn't tell the difference between them, okay? <laughs> the one on the left is David Cooper. One on the right is Daniel Endersby, okay? And so when one of them would come and talk to me, I'm like, you know, trying to figure out through context cues, who is this one, okay? <laughs> These guys showed me salty hospitality. You know, they didn't actually approach me. I went and approached them, but the moment I did that, I was in. These guys created a space for me to feel like I belonged. Yeah, like, I, you know, I looked different. Yeah, I sounded different. I probably had a thick Indian accent, said, thank you, come again, or something, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing, they didn't care, they didn't care, okay, they didn't care. They showed me salty hospitality, they created a space for me to feel like, yeah, I'm a little different, but I'm not that different, really not that different. We're more alike than we are different. And they created that space for me to feel like I was loved, I was accepted, and like I belonged. They invited me to their homes. Daniel's parents and their family are the ones that got me to love Liverpool Football Club. So if you think, oh, why do you guys go, why do you go for them? His family, okay? Dave Cooper, okay? He was the one that got me into all kinds of different music, okay? He played the bass guitar, okay? He, the point is, they didn't know me, but they still loved and showed kindness to me. That's it, it's not hard. You can be a David Cooper or a Daniel Andersby to somebody. You know, the f when they accepted me in that way, all of that pain of having left home, it didn't completely go away, but it was soothed. It didn't all of a sudden become easy. Oh, yeah, I love living here, and it's all great. No, it wasn't like that, but it made that pain more bearable. And over time, and very quickly, I didn't feel like a stranger anymore. Okay? I felt known. I felt seen. You can do that for somebody. Finally, salty hospitality preserves our communities by, by fostering engagement and reducing isolation. There's a, I don't know if y'all like to read the news. I love to read the news. Probably it's the bane of my existence, okay? Um, but if you keep up with current affairs, you know that people are talking about this so-called loneliness epidemic in our country, okay? In our country today. Uh, there was a study out by um, the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the Making Care Common Project. They put out a report on, the, on loneliness in America and especially how the pandemic uh, deepened that epidemic of loneliness. And here are some sobering stats. Check these out. 36%, over a third of Americans, feel serious loneliness frequently, almost or all the time. One in third, one in three Americans one in three Americans feel serious loneliness basically all the time. Check out this next one. 61% of 18 to 25 year olds report serious loneliness. 
but aren't you guys always on social media? Aren't you always talking to people? And you're interacting in all these different ways. You have like a million apps to stay connected. What do you mean 18 to 25 year olds feel loneliness? Yeah. But this last one was the one that really got me. About half of Americans said that they went weeks without having a meaningful conversation with somebody else. Weeks without somebody spending more than a few minutes to connect with them. <laughs> this is the state of affairs today in our country. We know the problems that loneliness causes. We know the problems caused by isolation, by being disconnected, by being unknown. We have the scourge of shootings all over the country. Virtually every single one of them stewed in loneliness. Or disconnected from everybody, antisocial. They didn't have meaningful relationships in their lives. That's, of course, the extreme of that, right? Suicide rates have been going up steadily again. And you go, <laughs> we live in the wealthiest country in the world. What could people be despairing about? We have everything, but apparently we don't have the thing that matters most. We don't know people. We don't feel we don't feel seen. We are not known by, by people. You know, if I were to survey this church and ask you guys, these stats, I think, would be a lot lower, okay? Surely there are people here that feel extreme loneliness, okay? And we've got to do something about that. We'll talk about that here in a second. But these stats would be a lot lower for us because we have so many opportunities to mitigate loneliness, don't we? Don't we? But it can be so easy for us, for you and me, to take that for granted. So many of our fellow citizens are suffering, are longing for something we have in abundance. We really do. This same Harvard report suggests several ways that we can mitigate this problem of loneliness. Okay? And uh, I'm sorry, the text might be a little bit small, but I'll summarize it here for you. They list a number of places, a number of institutions that can help mitigate this problem of loneliness and isolation. They list uh, doctor's offices, K-12 schools, colleges and universities, senior centers, workplaces, city agencies, federal, state, and local service opportunities. Do you note the glaring omission? Where's the church? Where's the church? For centuries, really up until the modern era, the church fulfilled a very central role in communities uh, by being the place that helped people stay connected to one another. But somewhere along the way, we dropped that by the wayside. Okay? We delegated that work to all of these faceless bureaucrats everywhere. Okay? And it simply hasn't worked. We have, the we have the dats, we have the stats now to show it, okay? We have the data now that proves it. That simply hasn't worked. I think, brothers and sisters, that there is tremendous room for us as a church to grow in this area, okay? Our fellow citizens are hurting bad, and we have something that they need, a way to help them feel connected, not just to us, but to God and to the purpose that he has for their lives. For all its interconnectedness, and hyperconnectedness, our, our world really is hurting, and there's something that we can do about it. 
the problem is really big, but we don't have to do great and big things. I love this quote. Uh, see if you recognize who said it. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Mary, Teresa, something, something, okay? I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that name, okay? Uh, she's also known as Mother Teresa, worked among the lepers in Calcutta, India, in my home country, okay? We can do great things, but we can do small things with great love, and I truly believe that's the case with us. Consider how the Samaritan showed hospitality, and I think there's a blueprint there for you and me as to how you and I can practice salty hospitality. The first is this. The Samaritan saw the guy in need and refused to turn away. The Levite turned away. The priest turned away. They saw the guy in trouble. They saw the guy in need, but they didn't care. They turned their faces away. The Samaritan did not. Second, evidently, there was a heart response, right? He felt something for the guy. Now, did the Levite and the priest feel it? Maybe. We don't know. We don't know what they felt. We just know by their actions that they didn't care enough to stop. But this guy did. He saw and he felt, and then he took care of his immediate needs. What did the guy need then? He needed to not die, okay? And that's what he did for him. But it wasn't just the meeting the immediate need. He stayed invested in the long term, didn't he? He tells the innkeeper, I will come back and pay you whatever's extra. Okay, just make sure that this guy lives. Make sure that this guy is taken care of. I think that's a great blueprint for you and me today. If you're wondering how do I show gracious, uh, gracious, salty hospitality, okay, I think this is a great way to go about it. Listen, September 10th is Friends and Family Day here at Sunset. Okay. Thank you. I, I will stop. Okay. One more minute. Okay. Can you give me one more minute? <laughs> I know it's called Friends and Family Day, but I want to encourage you to do this, okay? I want you to go beyond your friends and family, okay? Invite a stranger. Maybe it's that neighbor that you rarely talk to, but when you do, it's always been a pleasant experience. Invite that person. Maybe it's a student from Tech, <coughs> LCU. I don't know where you guys are attending college, okay? Did you say Tech? You guys in the back? Awesome, okay? Tech, LCU, SIBI. We have tons of institutes here, a lot of students away from home. Could you invite them for Friends and Family Day? Yes, please do that. Do you know any recent immigrants? Listen, I've shared with you my story. It's tough to be a recent immigrant, okay? Is there somebody that you know of that you can reach out to and show that kind of hospitality to? Whatever it is that you can do, do it well. Do it with great love. Even in warm and welcoming West Texas, being a stranger can be really difficult but the church has a role to play, and I think we have something to give the world needs. Today, if you remain a stranger to the love of God, we want you to experience his hospitality in Jesus. So if this church can help you do that, please come as we stand and as we sing.